chapter 14 is where you should be uh, by now. We'll be starting in verse 32. Verses 32 to 42 is our uh, passage this morning. I'm reading from the New King James Version, the New King James Version. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen. But by the way, if you need a Bible, not just for this morning, but for forever, we will be happy to gift one to you. Please see me after the service. I will gift you a Bible that you can take home with you and read throughout the week, bring with you on Sunday mornings and follow along in your own Bible. We are happy to do that for you. That's a ministry of grace. Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 32. This is what the Bible says. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he, that is Jesus, said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Title of the message this morning is Watch and Pray. Watch and Pray. And if you'd like to track along with the message this morning, you can listen for these five things. A busy day. Be a Gregory on full display, the hour and the cup, and Jesus speaking to you. A busy day, be a Gregory, on full display, the hour and the cup, and Jesus speaking to you. Let's bow our heads and pray together.
Lord, it's a privilege to stand before your people. It's a privilege to open your word and to preach. And I'm so thankful for the message this morning. And I pray, dear God, that you would give us ears to hear, please. I pray that your Holy Spirit, even now, would uh, do a work in us to receive the message and uh, determine to apply it. Lord, I pray for our children in children's church and in the toddlers and nursery. Thank you for uh, those who are serving there. Bless them this morning. Thank you for those watching online as well. Bless them, dear God. I pray that your spirit will fall fresh on us now. And as I've been praying all morning, God, please, may you be glorified in what happens here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the day is Thursday. It's a day we typically refer to as Maundy Thursday, the day before Jesus' crucifixion. And it's a busy day. It has been a busy day for Jesus and his disciples. And while there's some debate over the order of events on this day, there's no debate over what took place that day. It all started with Jesus sending two of his disciples into the city to locate the upper room. You find that in Mark chapter 14, verse 12 to the first half of verse 16. And then in the second half of verse 16, there's the preparation of the Passover meal. Then the sharing of the meal by Jesus and all 12 of his disciples, Mark 14, verses 17 and 18. Following the meal, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. You find that in John chapter 13. Jesus then identified Judas Iscariot as his betrayer, Matthew 26. Then there was the absolutely incredible argument among the disciples about who would be the greatest, described in Luke chapter 22, verse 24. And again, the order of events may... Uh, not be exact, uh, Luke puts the argument uh, about who would be the greatest as happening after the foot washing, but John MacArthur and other commentators suggest that perhaps uh, it uh, started before the foot washing. And if so, that makes what Jesus did in washing the disciples' feet even more meaningful. Also that evening was the institution of the Lord's Supper, Mark 14, verses 22 to 25. Last week, Matthew preached the message about Peter. It's on this day, Maundy Thursday, that Peter swears he will never deny the Lord. He swears he would gladly even die for him if need be. Mark 14, verses 27 to 31. That's followed by Jesus' teaching in the upper room, John chapter 14. As a matter of fact, the teaching uh, begins in John chapter 13, and it's here that Maundy Thursday gets its name, 
because that term Maundy, M-A-U-N-D-Y, Maundy, Thursday, it's Latin for command. Jesus said, as he taught in the upper room, a new commandment I give to you. That's where Maundy Thursday gets its name. Jesus said and his disciples then leave the upper room. They walk toward Gethsemane. Along the way, Jesus continues his teaching. That's found in John chapters 15 and 16. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays for his disciples and for the church. Yes, Grace, Jesus prayed for you the day before his crucifixion. Jesus prayed for you. And finally, the arrival at Gethsemane and the events of Mark chapter 14, verses 32 to 42, where the Bible says this, Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. Then they, that is Jesus and his disciples, 11 of them now, since Judas Iscariot has left, he's not with them at this moment because it was in the upper room that Jesus uh, predicted that Judas was going to betray him. He identified Judas as his betrayer, and Judas left. And the betrayal is now happening. Then Jesus and 11 of his disciples came to a place which was named Gethsemane. All four Gospels reference the location of this event where Jesus goes to pray. Matthew and Mark refer to the place specifically by name, Gethsemane. Luke gives only a general location, saying Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, but Luke's account agrees with Mark chapter 14, verse 26, which says after the, institute, after the institution of the Lord's Supper and after the singing of a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Gethsemane is located on the lower slope of the Mount of Olives. And Gethsemane is their destination. The word Gethsemane can be translated oil press. Oil press as in olive oil. So from the name of the place and from its location at the Mount of Olives, you can conclude that there were olive trees in abundance in this garden. And it's in the Gospel of John that this place is referred to as a garden. Only in John 18, which is where we get the name Garden of Eden. As a matter of fact, turn, turn over to John 18. If you have your Bible, turn over to John 18. I want you to see this. This is important. John chapter 18. Keep your finger in Mark 14. We're going back there. John chapter 18. Verses 1 and 2. Two verses. Very important. This is what the Bible says. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. Did you get that last part? Jesus often met there at Gethsemane 
with his disciples. The Gospel of Luke says this was a place they were accustomed to visiting. It's a place they knew well. And so did Judas. And that's an important point. Because Jesus didn't go into hiding. He knew the likelihood that Judas might think to look for him there. Remember the words of John, of Jesus. Remember the words of Jesus in John chapter 10. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to, and also to take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded. Jesus gave up his life voluntarily, on his own. Judas didn't take his life. The high priest didn't take his life. Pilate didn't take it. Neither did the people. Jesus laid down his life willingly for you and for me. And he comes to this location in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing Judas will find him there. Mark continues, verse 32. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. So Jesus is speaking to eight of his disciples here. You guys sit here while I pray. The Bible says in verse 33 that he then takes Peter, James, and John with him a little further into the garden. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. This is the third time Jesus has singled out Peter, James, and John to be with him in a big moment. The first was when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. That's in Mark chapter 5. The second was at Jesus' transfiguration on a high mountain. That was Mark chapter 9. And then here at Gethsemane, according to Mark chapter 14, Jesus tells Peter, James, and John, stay here and watch. The account in the Gospel of Matthew is very similar. Stay here and watch with me. But Luke adds another element. Listen to the words of Luke chapter 22, verse 40. Luke chapter 22, verse 40. When he came to the place... Jesus said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. So the admonition to Jesus' inner circle is to stay, to pray, to watch, and to pray. To stay, to watch, and to pray. Do you have any man in the room named Gregory? I don't see any hands. I'm not going to put anybody on the spot. Just wondering. Okay. Anybody have a son named Gregory and know what the name Gregory means? What is it, Susie? Watchman, watchful, yes. 
Gregory means watchful or watchman. That Greek word is gregoreo. Gregoreo. It literally means stay awake. Keep on the alert. It's the same word used in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, which says this. Be sober and vigilant. Be gregoreo. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Be vigilant. Be gregoreo. It all has to do with spiritual alertness. Stay here, Jesus said. Be watchful. Be vigilant. Be on the alert. And oh, be sure to pray. Be sure to pray. He wants the three disciples who are closest to him to be close to him on this night, to watch and to pray for him. I want you to look at verses 33 and 34 again. Verses 33 and 34 of Mark chapter 14. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. Consider the words in these verses. Jesus began to be troubled. He began to be deeply distressed. He said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. That word troubled doesn't come close to expressing the word that Mark uses in the original Greek. King James Version says Jesus began to be sore amazed, and even that doesn't do the word justice. The Greek word is ekthambeo. It looks like this on the screen. Ekthambeo is how you pronounce that on the screen. Vine's complete dictionary of New Testament words defines it this way. To throw into terror. To throw into terror. As a matter of fact, Vine says the word is probably related to a root word meaning to render immovable. It's a word that suggests Jesus became paralyzed with the realization of what was about to happen to him. Mark also describes Jesus as deeply distressed. That's the right translation from the Greek. He was deeply distressed. There was a great heaviness in him. Jesus even described himself as exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Grief overwhelmed him on this night, Grace. So important. Please don't miss it. And I'll speak for myself here. You decide if you can relate to what I'm saying. We talk a lot about Jesus being fully God. We talk a lot about him being fully man at the same time. 
But I don't often think about him like he is here in the garden. I think of him as the Son of God, the second person in the Trinity. I think of him as a master teacher. I think of him as a healer and the perfect and sinless Savior of the world. I don't think of Jesus as being overcome emotionally by the pressure of his circumstances. But that's what's happening here in the garden. It's putting Jesus' humanity on full display. And that's why it's important. The Bible says in Hebrews, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt ekthumbeo? Have you ever felt the crushing weight of deep distress and sorrow? So is Jesus. And he didn't sin. Here's another one. Hebrews chapter 2. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. By the way, that word tempted is better rendered tested. Because Jesus suffered, because he was tested, he knows what you're going through. And because he knows what you're going through, Grace, he's able to come to your aid and provide you help when you need it. What a promise. Back to Mark 14. Jesus leaves Peter, James, and John there to stay, watch, and pray. The Bible then says he went a little farther and fell on the ground. Luke says Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw away from them. Close enough to feel near to them, but far enough away for privacy. Matthew says he fell on his face to pray. And whether, whether Jesus fell on his face out of exhaustion over the stress he was experiencing, or because he simply wanted to lie face down before his father. It's a picture of complete and total dependence on God. And he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will. But what you will. Notice first, Jesus addresses his father as Abba. Abba. It's an Aramaic term. It's a term of intimacy. It's what a dependent child would call his dad. That's what Jesus called his father. Abba. Again, complete and total dependence on God. And when Jesus talks about the hour, he's not talking about a literal hour. He's not talking about his hour in the garden. He's talking about his crucifixion and his death. 
That same week, only days earlier, Jesus said these words in John chapter 12. But Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But it was for this purpose that I came to this hour. John chapter 12, Jesus talking about the, the hour of his crucifixion. And in the garden when he prays for the hour to pass from him, he's praying about the same thing. When he talks about the cup, he's talking about the cup of suffering. And here's the thing. It's not the cup of physical suffering that he's praying about here. That was going to be bad enough. But the word cup in the Bible is often used as a metaphor for God's wrath and his divine judgment. Listen to what the Bible says. For he, God, made him Jesus. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. God is a holy God. And he's a just God. Because he's holy, because he's just, he cannot tolerate sin. Sin must be punished. And because Jesus took our sin upon himself, he experienced God's wrath and divine judgment. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah wrote 700 years before this night in the garden. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. When Jesus prayed, take this cup away from me. That's the cup he was referring to. That God was going to forsake him, abandon him while he was hanging on the cross and he would suffer the divine judgment that we that we deserve. Let's go back to verses 35 and 36 one more time. What did Jesus pray here? He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Look at those words. All things are possible for you. If there's another way to reconcile man to you, if there's another way to provide forgiveness of sins, you can find it, Father. Because all things are possible for you. Please don't forsake me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Jesus never said, I'm not going through with this. He never ran from what he was born to do. 
He was fully submitted to the will of the Father. But if there's any other way, please, if there's any other way, the Bible says in Luke 22, then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him as he prayed in the garden. God answers prayer, Grace. Maybe not in the way we want him to, but he answers prayer. One commentator said this, sometimes God answers prayers by eliminating trials. Other times he answers by strengthening us in the midst of them. After a first round of prayer, Jesus gets up. He finds Peter, James, and John asleep. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He'd asked all three of them to stay on the alert. He'd asked all three of them to pray. But instead, all three of them slept. I want you to remember those words, watch and pray. Lest you enter into temptation. I'm going to come back to those words. Verses 39 and 40 say this. Again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. What he prayed before, he prayed again. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. The writer of Hebrews describes Jesus as praying with vehement cries and with tears to him who was able to save him from death. And yet the disciples were sleeping through it. Then he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. It is enough, Jesus said. It is settled. The decision has been made, is what that means. That was enough for Jesus. When he wakes up his disciples from sleep, says, let's go. He means let's go to meet Judas. Jesus poured out his heart in prayer. God the Father answered Jesus submitted to his will, and he met Judas and those who'd come to place him under arrest. Our pastor, Matthew, will continue the narrative next week, but before we finish, I want to go back to verse 37 of Mark 14. Just a moment. Mark 14, verse 37, Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? 
Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. After his first round of prayer, Jesus goes back to the location where he left Peter and James and John, and he finds them sleeping. All of them are sleeping. You understand that? But to whom does Jesus address his question? Look at verse 37 on the screen. Who does Jesus ask that question to? Simon. Simon Peter. He addresses Peter. What were Jesus' words to Peter in verse 37? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Oh, Peter's spirit is willing, but his flesh is weak. He was tired. Watch and pray, Peter, lest you deny me three times tonight. Wait a minute. Jesus had already predicted that Peter would deny him three times. It was already made clear that Peter was going to fail. So who was Jesus speaking to when he said, watch and pray? I want you to think about this for just a moment. Who was Jesus speaking to when he said, watch and pray? Well... Surely he was speaking to Peter. Peter's going to fail tonight. The command to watch and pray wouldn't help him tonight. Because he was going to deny Jesus. But Peter needed to learn from this night. He needed to remember these words for the future. Jesus was also speaking to James and to John. Both of them were going to fail Jesus as well, along with Peter. Both were going to run and save themselves, leaving Jesus with Judas and those who came to arrest him. They were going to run away. Jesus had predicted that too. But James and John also needed to learn from this night. There's someone else Jesus is speaking to. He's speaking to you. He's speaking to me. Watch and pray, Christian. I asked you earlier if you've ever felt like Jesus felt in the garden. If you've ever felt that crushing weight of deep distress that Jesus felt. And while we may never know it to that extent, like me, many of you have probably felt it. So how do we overcome the crushing weight of depression, of fear, of worry, 
of loneliness? How do we overcome the distress over the loss of a loved one? How do we have victory over a particular sin issue that has a hold of us? How do we avoid falling into temptation? And how do we know the will of God and boldly submit to it? The answer is in the words of Jesus. Watch and pray, Grace. Be vigilant. Be on the alert. Know the scriptures so you know what you need to be looking out for. And then pray. And then pray some more. Jesus prayed three separate times in the garden. He prayed the same thing. Use him as your example. Watch and pray. And if you want someone to pray with you, I'm always available to you. Just let me know. I'll pray for you. I'll pray with you. If anything I said this morning doesn't make sense to you at all, I'd love to speak to you after the service. We can set up a time to meet this week. I'd be happy to answer any questions you might have. Oh, and if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, please see me. I would love to share the good news of Jesus Christ with you and how you can know for certain that you'll spend eternity with him in heaven one day. Let's schedule a time to meet and do that. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I'm so thankful for your example in the garden. Oh, what you went through that night in Gethsemane. Thank you. God, may we follow your example. All the way to submission to the Father's will. May you be glorified in us. Please continue to have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.